Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to yet another episode of the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Mason, joined as always by Anise Montplaisir. No Keatlin Christofferson today. She's at a horse show, but she will be back for the next episode. Don't you worry. Anise, how are you doing? You ready for this episode? I am great. I've got a nice warm cup of matcha tea. I can't even say it's a cold day outside. It's a beautiful, sunny, hot fall day here, but uh, it, it just, I'm ready for fall. I'm ready for long sleeves and jeans and Keeneland in the house. Yeah, uh, Keeneland right around the corner, obviously. Some great racing from Belmont Park. Uh, Breeders' Cup also around the corner. I had to bring out the jeans and a nice hoodie today, so that was the first time I had to do that in quite a few months, but still. I have my pure leaf with me. I'm here in SUNY New Paltz, upstate New York. The leaves are beginning to change, and it's just an absolutely beautiful day. Awesome. Well, I am really excited for the guest that we are going to have with us today. She is an incredibly... (laughs) Her background is just so diverse. I was going to say an incredibly experienced individual, which she is, but... She's so young for all of the different experiences that she's had, and now she is actually the first official, like official, official Amplify team member in terms of uh, employees that we've been able to hire. So Trisha Warrens is joining us today to talk about her background and experiences and hopefully how pumped she is to be helping us with the Amplify social media. I'm stoked too. Without further ado, let's let's just dive in. I would like to introduce the audience today to Miss Trisha Warrens, whose bio is so long, it could take me a long time to just to list off some of the things that you've done, but you have interned everywhere from Del Mar to with the Kentucky Derby. You've worked in the racing office at Oaklawn Park. You've been a Derby Museum tour guide. You've worked at Upsom Downs Farms. You've been with Brendan Walsh's stable. You've been at Ellis Park. And you're a graduate of the UofL Equine Program. I should say University of Louisville, for those out there who don't know. And it goes on. Like, you helped out with Breeders' Cup in 2020. You were a claims clerk at Oaklawn. You've been skydiving in Switzerland, which we have to talk to you about. So... That wasn't the most concise introduction, but I feel like that's the best way of welcoming you to the stage is just like, this is Trisha Warrens. She's very young and she has done a lot and continues to add to that resume. Yeah, it's, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, I sometimes <laughs> think that I haven't done a lot and I'm always like, gosh, I need to do more. But then when you list it out like that, I'm like, oh, yeah. I've done a lot. <laughs> I feel like that's one of the signs of a high achiever when you're when you feel like you're running in place and like you need to do more and everybody around you is like, stop, slow down, take a breath. Yes, exactly. Out, enjoy <laughs> life. <laughs> that's definitely what it is. So I feel like this past summer I've kind of finally taken a break and just been like sort of taking a step back and just kind of regrouped and now I'm ready to jump back in again. <laughs> Hey, that's awesome. And you're jumping in both feet first into the deep end with uh, your gigs that you have currently. And we will talk about those in a little bit, but we usually like to start from the very beginning. And to be completely honest, Trisha, I don't know anything about how you first got into the industry. I know you're in Tennessee now, but 
you got started in California, correct? Yeah. So I, I grew up in San Diego, California, um, and the, grew up going to Del Mar. I think the earliest I can remember going there was when I was like eight years old. And so it was did just, you just something... live close to the track. Or yeah. How did you learn about it? My family lived about 20, 30 minutes from the track. And I, I just loved horses when I was young. And I understood kind of like reading the names of the horses. Um, from the paper and whenever we would go I would pick horses for my dad to bet on for me just by name um and it was just something I like doing I like seeing the horses run when I was so I'm young gonna, I'm gonna add a <coughs> cough cough we do not condone no no we do betting, not but sometimes <laughs> it's really fun to learn how to read a racing form even when you're really young yes yes we what do you mean? I didn't say that. I'm just kidding. That's amazing. That And what a place to get started. So, okay, I don't want to dive into this too soon, but there's always the Del Mar versus Saratoga debate. And I know that a lot of people are always in love. It's like you stick to your first love. You never forget that. So whichever one you were introduced to first, you love the most. And you have been to both. So yes. which one is it? Um, I definitely fall into the category of sticking with your first love. I'm I'm partial to Del Mar, and my first trip to Saratoga was this past summer, and it was amazing. I understand now why so many people love Saratoga, but I just can't put it above Del Mar. Hey, that's okay. Respect. Yeah. I completely respect that. I respectfully disagree with your opinion being a New Yorker, but that's okay. <laughs> um, but Trish, I mean, Anise went on about all the internships you've done and stuff like that. You're a marketing intern at Del Mar, a social media intern for the Kentucky Derby in 2019, and a racing office intern at Oakland Park in uh, January through May of 2020. How important are internships in this industry in particular? Oh, they're so important, um, regardless of your background. But I think especially for a young person coming up in the industry who doesn't have any family ties to it. Um, I guess you could say I'm like the first generation person to in my family to take the plunge into horse racing. Um and so I knew that it was going to be really important to do as many internships as possible and as many work placements to try and get my name out there and let as many different organizations know that I wanted to be in horse racing. Um, and then, of course, also doing it across a lot of different parts of the industry to test the waters in as many different places. Yeah, I think that's a really good way of putting it because some people, you know, and I respect this too, if you get in at a place that you really, really like and work your way up. And I know a lot of people who, you know, it was their first internship that opened the door for them to continue working for a particular company or organization. And they're now in a very high level in that organization. But I do think that there's a lot of value in, in gaining so much experience at different places. And one of the things that really stands out to me about your resume 
is that you've had so much experience at so many different tracks, which is really cool. And not just tracks in the same place, but tracks across the U.S. So was there anything from that that you found really interesting going from track to track or jurisdiction to jurisdiction that stood out to you as a as a learning, um, like a, what am I trying to say? A particular Wow, words are hard today. <laughs> a particular lesson that stuck with you. Um, hmm. I think racetracks, a lot of racetracks and how they're run on the front side are very similar. Um, but where the difference really comes down to is in jurisdictions um, and the different rules that you see at different tracks, which can be get a bit tricky. Um, the takeaway that it's made me really think about is how much easier everything would be if it was all the same. Um, yeah, like one governing body. Yeah. Just so it's, it's easier for everybody. And having done the racing official, um, stuff, been in the racing office at racetracks in two different jurisdictions, there's definitely like differences that kind of stick out as to how things are done. Some ways are better and some ways are um, less effective, I guess. Yeah. For anyone out there who's listening, who might be like, what are they talking about? So unlike other sports, and I'm actually not an avid sports aficionado, but, you know, in football, for example, you have the National Football League, the NFL, and that is that sport's centralized governing body and all of their rules and the decision-making process comes down through them and all teams that are under the banner of the NFL have to follow that. Whereas in the U S thoroughbred industry, we do not have a centralized governing body. Every state is their own separate jurisdiction. And in general, they would you know, it's suggested that they abide by a set of model rules, but some of them will decide to tweak those rules or modify them or decide that something works better for them. And a trainer can travel from state to state with horses, and they might have to take a look at the withdrawal times for certain medications or, you know, even equipment rules and things like that. So, it just adds a little bit of complexity when it comes down to understanding the intricacies of the sport. So when you when you, you were at Del Mar as a kid, you got into it that way. How did you decide what your next step was going to be into the industry to actually get involved? Um, so it was it was in high school that I was kind of figured that I wanted to work in horse racing that I wanted to pursue that path um and out here in in California there really isn't a lot of opportunity at in with colleges offering programs that are just dedicated to um horses or equine business management there's the racetrack industry program at Arizona um and then there's some like equine science uh, offered at colleges in other there's things like two or three other colleges that offer one but really I knew kind of going back to how 
I didn't have a name in the industry and I wanted to give myself the best chance to have the most opportunity, I knew I wanted to be in Kentucky because that is the, that is the heart that is the, of this industry. Um, and so I applied for UK, University of Kentucky and University of Louisville and ultimately ended up at Louisville. Which is a awesome program I've heard. I mean, both, both universities have, you know, their own unique offerings and I've heard from people who leave both having had exceptional experiences. So did they help you to set up a lot of those internships or did they kind of leave it to you along the way, you know, Hey, Trisha, line up some internships for yourself. Or was it something that you had kind of an internship advisor? Um, a bit of both. So there were, we would, as students in the program, you would get emails about opportunities, work placements or internships. Um, and then it was up to you to kind of to take the necessary steps to put yourself out there. Um, I knew about the Del Mar internship from when I was in high school. I talked to somebody about it and I knew it was something I wanted to do eventually. Um, the one where the one internship where the program was very was a big part of me getting there was the Oakland Racing Office internship because I hadn't heard about it and a professor talked about it and then I was working with that professor to get my application together for that. And did you always know that you wanted to do something racing official wise? Because then after that internship, you, you've gone on to do other racing official type things as a placing judge and a claims clerk. How did that process work for you? Um, I think, I think, yes. After, um, during my Del Mar internship, I I did get in the racing office there because I thought it might be something I was interested in. So I was able to get in there a couple days a week. Um, and it was doing that and getting that first exposure that I was like, I think I want to do more of this and go a little more in depth. So it was perfect that the, the next year the Oakland internship came up. Um, and then I was asked back by Oakland for the next season. So it kind of made, it made, sense for me to stay in the racing office for all of last year. And that's how I ended up at Ellis Park, um, which was great to be on the Kentucky circuit for a little bit. But I, I still think that the racing office is something that is definitely interesting to me. What I think a lot of young, I think a lot of young people that are looking to get into this industry should consider it um, because a lot of officials are older. And I think in the next 10, 20 years, you're going to see a turnover there. And so this industry, we need more young people willing to get in the racing office. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And Trisha, I mean, we've said it throughout this episode so far, you've had a bunch of different opportunities when it comes to internships and working in the racing office, Breeders' Cup, Kentucky Derby, things like that. Uh, what, in, what part of this industry are you most passionate about? Is it the racing office or is it uh, being around the horses, what uh, what really are you passionate about in this industry? Um, it's both of those. I I know I excel at the kind of administrative work. Um, I love the repetition and the pattern of the racing office and the interactions with the horsemen. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm in this industry for the horses, and I am my experiences 
working hands-on with horses have been some of my most favorite. Um, and I think that's kind of where I see myself in the lane that I want to go down more. Um, whether it be working with horses more in some capacity or continuing on with racing office, office work. But that's what I found that I've enjoyed the most. So I want to go back to the racing office stuff a little bit. Describe to us what you did as a racing office intern. Were you helping a multitude of different racing officials and explain in general to those out there who maybe have no idea what goes on in a racing office, what happens in the racing office? Yeah, for sure. So when I was um, an intern, my first season at Oakland, I was getting to do a little bit of everything, helping everybody out. And then this most recent season I was there, I was the claims clerk. Uh, so in the racing office, it's, I, it's the people who do all the work to make sure that the races happen. You have your racing secretary who writes the condition book, um, which is, it's a book that goes out and all the trainers, owners can see what races are going to be offered um, for specific race days. And that way they can determine what horses they have that can go in a race or what race is coming up for horses in their barn. Um, you got your assistant racing secretary who's helping. And then every other, there's claims clerks, placing judges, paddock judge, horse ID. Uh, that's, I'm probably missing someone, but everybody's got their own individual jobs that they do to make race. That's for like race day claims clerk. You're doing claims for horse, um, for claims races when people can claim horse out of a race, buy a horse out of a race. Um, placing judges is order finish, so on. But it's really a big team. And in the morning, you're all doing the same thing. You're all taking entries for races. Trainers or agents will call in and say, I'm entering fast, fast horse in the first race in the book. And then the first race in the book is a maiden special weight. And this is the jockey that's going to ride. Um, and you you do that. For every race, for every card that you put on, um, but I do. It's 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 a team. So just because you're, just because I was the claims clerk this past season doesn't mean I was just the claims clerk. I would, I was always helping out with horse ID in the office. If somebody needed to pull horses' papers, um, sometimes we had to go up to be a placing judge for a day. Um, you learn to do everything, and then you have your specific title. I think it's good. It's really important that people understand that racing officials are really helping to, you know, regulate the transparency and enforce rules in the sport. And whether that's identifying that it's the correct horses that are in the paddock to run a race, you know, making sure that the correct horse is made the winner in a photo finish or a very, very tight photo finish that comes down to basically the whisker of a nose um, to, you know, making sure that claims, that claiming is a smooth process and that transition from owner to owner and trainer to trainer goes really smoothly through that. So very, very cool. And I've you're not the first person I've heard that from where it's really important that 
you know, young people to kind of understand the bigger picture of the sport, try to spend at least some time in the racing office, because it is a lot of details to understand. And I'm sure you met a lot of people along the way. Yeah. And I always say that the, the racing office is, it's really the middleman between track management and the horsemen. You work for, you work for both of them. And so you have to balance that. You have to fill your races and you have to um, get the, fill car, you have to fill races for management to appease management. And then you have to, but you have to have the right, you can't, you have to help horsemen spot their horses. Like if you're going to, I wouldn't, I feel uncomfortable hustling a horse into a race that I don't think they belong in. Um, but I might have to make that effort to try and fill a race so that we get full cards for the track to do better. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really like that it is uh, so much that there was so much interaction with horsemen because um, you're talking to trainers and agents and owners every single day. And it kind of felt like it was the best position to connect being on the front side in a position that I know I can do well in and also still having a tie to the backside. And now you are doing a lot of stuff with something completely different, which is social media, which is a whole beast in and of itself. And I, we've talked about social media on this podcast before and the importance of having a social media presence. And you started as a social media intern with the Kentucky Derby in 2019, and you were helping out at Breeders' Cup in 2020 as a contender cam operator, which is a really cool project. So how has the learning curve been since more platforms, social media platforms have been added to the mix of what we kind of have to be tuned in on? You have to be on top of it as with technology the second you learn something on technology and on the internet they've already developed the next phase and you have to learn that um and horse racing has always been behind the eight ball in terms of social media and i think in recent years it's finally like enough organizations have been like okay this is something that we have to take more seriously we have to put put more effort into because it is so important now social media is everybody's on social media it's where everything's happening if it's not on social media did it actually happen um and I mean for that reason like I I knew it was gonna be I wanted to learn more social media I wanted to learn what you got to do to get content what content does well um, of course, responding to people on um, different platforms, because as time goes on, social media is going to become more and more important than it already is. Um, I remember actually last year when everybody was jumping on TikTok, I was like, yeah. what's a TikTok? <laughs> you know, and then I was like, uh, TikTok blew up during um Really, because COVID. of COVID, because nobody was, yeah. everybody was home. And so everybody's like, I'm going to make a TikTok. Um, and that so I think actually, that's, that's obviously the next step. 
you know, I think you're going to see TikTok become more popular with across horse racing. And speaking of COVID, and Joe, you jump in at any time. You know that I can just talk like nobody's business. But yeah, speaking of of COVID, that was what kind of led to the contender cam at Breeders' Cup in 2020. And you were one of the few lucky people who got to be there. You and I actually got to hang out at Breeders' Cup, which was pretty cool. And, but you had basically the coolest project of anybody that was at the track that day doing any sort of work. So explain what the contender cam was. Okay. Um, contender cam, what it was, it, the idea was to, since, since we couldn't have all fans at Breeders' Cup last year, they wanted a way, um, Breeders' Cup and Keeneland wanted to have a way to, allow fans to personalize their viewing experience because a fan goes to the racetrack and maybe they're there to see one specific horse. And so they go and they stand by the paddock where that horse is going to be. And it was that idea. We want to have these personalized a way for fans at home to personalize their viewing experience. Uh, it was a group of 16 of us and each of us had a, iPhone on a stabilizer and we were each assigned a number for every race. I was number nine both days and we just had to follow the horse with with the phone, with the iPhone, getting a live stream video that fans could view on the Breeders' Cup app, um, which is so, it really is because the it was born out of COVID and needing to, for people to personalize their viewing experience and it was so successful. They're bringing it back this year. I've already agreed to be on the team again. I'm so looking forward to doing it at Del Mar. Um, it, it was, it's one of the most innovative, I think, ideas I've seen in horse racing recently in terms of improving or um, changing the fan experience. Yeah, I would agree. That's, it was such a cool way of giving people an insider view even from home. And it's something that, you know, we should probably consider doing more often, more frequently, even in a normal year, because there are a lot of people that might not ever be able to afford to go to Breeders' Cup, or maybe don't have the ability to travel, or, you know, any number of reasons that could restrict them from being able to attend in person, but they're at home and want to be consuming the sport you know, as much as we want to. Yeah, definitely. Like, <clears throat> I would love to see the contender cam idea be um, used. I think the plan is to be used at Breeders' Cup moving forward, but I would like to see it introduced for, like, the Triple Crown races because those are big cards with lots of really good horses. Um, and that would be a great – those would be great settings to use that as well. Yeah, and it can be tricky. I guess thinking Kentucky Derby-wise, something like that would be so cool for Kentucky Derby because, I mean, look at all the people out there who've never heard of – they can't even list a single other equestrian sport in the U.S., but they're like, oh, the Kentucky Derby, you know? So it'd be cool to give that added level of, of viewership or viewing capabilities, I should say. Yeah. Joe? Do you want to dive into oh, absolutely. skydiving? 
Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I want to do. Was that pun intended, Anise? <laughs> Dive into My puns are always intended. Oh, I'm sure they are. Uh, Trisha, I took, I t- took a peek at your uh, Instagram when I was doing some research for this episode, and you went skydiving in Switzerland. You got to tell us the backstory behind that. Okay. Um, so this is kind of ties into COVID, too. I so I studied abroad during college, my junior year of college, and I went to Switzerland for a couple days, uh, and it was amazing. It was the most beautiful place I'd ever been, um, and I knew it was like I want to go back to Switzerland. That's the place I want to go back to. So my plan was I'm going to graduate college, and then go to Switzerland for like a week or two, and obviously COVID happened. Um, and it just didn't get to happen last year. And I didn't think it would actually get to happen until next year even. But I was taking this break. So I was like, Switzerland's open. These are the requirements. I can go. I can do this. And I just went. And it was the Switzerland trip was my graduation present to myself. It was kind of like my college send off finally. <laughs> and then I was like, I'm, I'm, I've never been skydiving. I'm, I'm going to do it in Switzerland because... The logic is if I'm going to jump out of an airplane, I want the view to be absolutely spectacular. Just got to go all out. And it was a beautiful day. It was so much fun. It was like, I don't even know how to describe the feeling, but it was just like, it was amazing. It was probably the most insane thing I've ever done. (laughs) But if anybody ever finds themselves in Switzerland, Definitely go skydiving. I would love to go. And I just have to say, I I know that people have written this on your social media too, so I have to state the obvious that you are now a Swiss skydiver. You beat me to it, Anise. You beat me to it. (laughs) No, that was was in the back of my mind. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, now I feel even more one with the Philly. (laughs) I am a part of the club. There you go. That is so cool. What an experience. I'm so envious. COVID was such a, a squasher of plans because I had plans to go to Spain after graduating Good Old from Flying Start. And uh, then thanks, COVID. It still hasn't <laughs> happened yet. But Yeah, thanks, I'd, COVID. <laughs> I'd say next year at some point I'm going to nail down a date and just do it. That's one of the things you just have to do it just like you did. That's good for you. You just did it rather than thinking, Oh, someday I'll do that. Sometimes that's just what you got to do in life. Just sometimes you just got to do it. And I think you can plan things for as long as you want and you can say, Oh, I'll do it this time. This is the date I'm setting. But sometimes I, I, it was like a month. It was the beginning of July and I was like, I'm going to go to Switzerland. And then I went the beginning of August. And I was like, so quick for planning an international trip. That's so awesome. Did you go by yourself too? Yeah, I went by myself. Good for you. That's awesome. That is so that was, cool. Uh, that was my kind of mindset too, because again, COVID squashed all of our plans. It's kind of what I did over the summer. I went to New York City. I went to Boston. I went to New Hampshire. I went to Connecticut. Uh, obviously not as exciting as Switzerland, but still, you know, I wanted to get out and get out of the house and have as much fun as I could and travel to a bunch of different places. And yeah, I mean, why not? Right. Just do it. Yeah. Just do it. Don't be, don't be afraid to go for the things you want to do. 
I don't want to go off on a tangent, but maybe I kind of do because I've been sure, talking to a lot of people about this lately. Is that in the U.S., it is not as popular for young people to take a gap year between high school and going to university, or even between university and going out into the real world and getting your big kid job. And for so many other countries, that is absolutely the norm that you get out of school. You take a gap year or at least several months to go travel. And I feel like in the U.S. we just have this mindset of go, go, go all the time and that you always have to have a plan for your next step. And, you know, there's really just something to be said for prioritizing living life and you know, checking things off your bucket list. It's never too early to have a bucket list because life is short and there are a lot of amazing things out there to see, whether it's in horse racing or whether it's beyond horse racing. And, you know, as much of an advocate as I am for people pursuing a career and having a really fruitful and fulfilling career, it is really important to have that work-life balance and to prioritize seeing the world and experiencing amazing things like skydiving in Switzerland. Yeah, definitely. Um, I never took a gap year, um, but I, the benefit of a gap year is definitely like, if you don't know what you want to do, you can take this gap year and maybe you can just try different jobs. You can try different test test the waters, different places, see what do I like to do. Um, of course, you can travel, see the world. And if you, and for college students, I would say definitely study abroad, do a semester abroad, do a year abroad. It's going to be the cheapest you're ever going to get to travel. Um, and it's just another opportunity to see, see the world. And I, I've always, I knew I wanted to study abroad. I knew I wanted to travel and I remember seeing, I saw a TikTok, it was a TikTok, <laughs> probably back in June, actually, that was like, you'll learn more about yourself traveling than you would in school or working, like, just just travel, especially travel solo, because you're going to learn so much more about yourself. Um, yeah, yes, that is such, such good advice. And there are even a lot of opportunities in the horse racing industry to travel and work abroad you know I'm sure that we all have friends that have I have several friends who've gone to work in Australia even for just a short period of time to get experience or have you know gone to Ireland or the UK or you know I have one friend who lived for quite a while in Hong Kong and then just traveled to different countries to learn about their racing industries and South America, almost every country in South America has some type of racing industry. So, you know, if you love this sport, there are lots of opportunities for travel, but even just travel in general, don't restrict yourself. I think we sometimes forget how international um, the industry is. It's not just here in the U.S. It's, it's everywhere. Um, and traveling to work within the industry, I, what I took away from my study abroad, um, 
I studied at Maynooth University in Ireland and they had an equine program. So I took some of the equine classes. And what I liked about learning about the equine program in a different country was then having the comparison with the U.S. and kind of seeing the ways that they were different. And you get ideas by going, seeing racing um, and working in racing in different countries. You, you learn more and I think you can bring things back to your home country that you have, whatever country you end up in. Trisha, I forgot that we were together at the Ark. Oh my gosh, we were. I forgot about that. That is so funny. So I was on the Godolphin Flying Start program. My group was in Ireland at the time. And so you must have been studying abroad during that time. Yeah, it was 20, had, fall 2018. I had no idea that you and, oh, and Sam Businich um, would be at the, the Arc de Triomphe, which for anybody who's not familiar with the Arc, it is one of the most amazing races and one of the most prestigious races in the whole world. It takes place in Paris, France at um, Longchamp Racecourse. It was in Chantilly for a couple of years while they were doing some renovations at Longchamp. And we were, uh, Trisha and I were there at the same time and ran into each other and watched the arc together, watching Enable beat the class, right? Yeah. I still have that video of us losing our mind. (laughs) And crying. It's so, so wild. Wow. That is so crazy. I completely forgot about that. (laughs) We were just talking about being at Breeders' Cup together. And it's like, oh, yeah, there was this other thing we were at together. We've crossed paths many a times. And now I feel like that's a good segue to say, you know, I know that I said it in the intro, but you are are working for Amplify as our current social media manager. And you are, am I allowed to talk about your other gig as well? I'm sure. Why not? Yeah. And also doing social media for the National Museum of Racing and Hall of Fame. So you've got a couple hustles that you're working on at the moment. And there's definitely a lot of crossover there with education. So are you hoping to be able to, you know, what do you hope to share as you work on social media? You know, are you are you primarily trying to stick to the messaging of both of these organizations or do you hope to kind of weave in some of your own educational learnings that you've had along the way? Um, I definitely think it's both. I don't want to do anything drastic with changing messaging for either organization because both of them are, I think Amplify is doing a great thing in what you're trying to do. I don't want to change that. Um, and but you can share all the ideas you want with yes. us you you take yes. the reins girl um but what you and I have talked about is sharing the experiences I've had in the industry and especially like internships and work placements um with the audience of Amplify because you're you're trying to reach young people and you're trying to get young people to learn of more opportunities in the industry um and maybe they haven't learned that they, maybe they don't know that they can get an internship in a racing office or they don't know that they can intern at Del Mar. Um, so definitely like continuing the messaging, but also growing it and make reaching 
more people, I think, is kind of what I would like to do and help be a part of. I don't want to go on another tangent, but you just triggered something in my brain. (laughs) So... Does so she do this all the time? Yeah. Trisha, did you read, or or Joe, you might have read them too. Did you guys read Pony Pals when you were little? The Pony I did Pals not read books? Pony Pals, Pony but Pals. I'm bummed I missed out. <laughs> okay. Hold up. I probably did. Yes, I did. <laughs> awesome. Okay. I read Pony Pals when I was little, and it is about these three young ladies, Anna, Pam, and Lulu, their best friends, and these books are just, they were so ahead of their time, I feel like, considering a lot of the issues that we're going through in, in society right now and, you know, trying to, I, I guess just in general, I see in the racing industry, we've identified that we have this huge lack of diversity and struggles with, you know, accessibility in general for people being able to get involved. And this book is about these three young ladies. One of them is African-American. Another one has dyslexia and has a disability. Um, The other one had lost her mother and her dad is a researcher who um, researches like African animals or something like. He's never there. He's living. Exactly. He's never there. Yeah. And I loved these books and they dealt with so many different topics from loss and grieving the loss of something to disability and dealing with emergencies and I wrote to the author Jeannie Betancourt when I was little and I couldn't have been more than I don't know six years old and she wrote me back and I've always wanted to meet her and I reached out to her and asked if we could have a zoom coffee and we actually we did that on Sunday morning Oh my gosh. Wow, what a full circle. Wow. Yes. I'm a little jealous. (laughs) She's about to turn 80 in a couple weeks. So happy birthday, Ms. Bentoncourt. And um, she asked me which character I related the most to. I swear there's a point to this tangent. And for me, it was Lulu, just saying, with her love of adventure and outdoors and everything. But she talked about in writing these books, her publisher had encouraged her to share a little bit of herself in every character which I thought was really interesting and she spoke about you know these characters and forming these characters as if almost like she had a real relationship with them like they were real people but how she would weave her own experiences and these lessons that she could relate to into you know the personalities of these young ladies that she was writing about And that, to me, kind of comes back around to social media and the value of having someone like you working on our social media, that you can weave in your own story to the messaging that we're putting out there to get other young people involved. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think if you're trying to promote something or um, convey a message and you're disconnected from it, it's not going to have the same impact. You have to, it has to be present in the messaging that whoever is putting this out there is really passionate and can speak to experiences um, on on the message. Um, Because it's more more real, it's more honest, it's more relatable that way. 
Boom. I'm into that. That was a good tangent. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks. Well, sorry. Out of 10, would recommend. <laughs> I'm I'm off on a. I don't know. My my brain is rolling today. I need a vacation. <laughs> Joe, should we uh, should we hit her with our rapid fire questions, or do you have any other questions to sneak in there? I don't know if she's ready for our rapid fire oh, questions. Oh goodness. <laughs> Well, we narrowed it down to 10 for you, Trisha. We were initially going to make this 20 questions with Trisha Warren's, but we decided to, you know, extrapolate on some of your amazing experiences. I decided to go on 10 different tangents. And that's now, okay. Now we will hit you with 10 rapid fire questions. Oh, boy. So the I'm clock ready. is ticking. I'm going to have Joe start us off. Should we do every other Joe? Uh, yeah, that sounds good. Thank you for volunteering me, by the way. Oh, um, favorite racehorse. Who is your favorite racehorse? Oh, goodness. <laughs> um, the clock is ticking, Trisha. Oh my gosh, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say my favorite racehorse is probably Royal Delta because that was the first horse that I remember following like her entire career of. Awesome. That, wow, great answer. Jeez. Favorite track. This is easy. It's Del Mar didn't pick that one up from earlier but i'll say other than delmar i'll say my i'll say like that because that's like the shoe-in i feel like um it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be oakland just because i've had so many great experiences there Good all right cool. uh favorite memory of the industry a memory you've had over the years something that really sticks out oh my gosh my favorite memory of the industry um it's probably my first memory um again, we're not, um, was the first horse that I ever like told my dad to bet on was a horse (laughs) named, was a horse named dreams and she won. And I think that was just, it feels very, um, that's very special to me now. That gave me chills. The horse's name was dreams. Yeah. It was like in 2006, like the movie dreamer came out the year prior, I think. And that was, that's where my mind was <laughs> wow that to me doesn't feel like coincidence that's crazy oh, that is amazing i know it's pretty it's pretty special that i think about it now that that was my that's the first one i remember first memory favorite racetrack food oh my gosh oh my gosh what is it it's um it's the burritos at the keeneland track kitchen <gasps> yes oh my gosh yes <laughs> Uh, do you do sausage or bacon? I, I I usually do sausage. Okay, I'm a bacon girl, but mm-hmm. that's cool. I respect that. We should go get breakfast burritos. I soon. definitely think we should. Joe, when you come here, we'll take you to get breakfast burritos too. I'm certainly envious hearing this talk of food today. Uh, favorite racing movie? This one's really tough. Ah, uh, my favorite racing movie is. Sea Biscuit. Oh, good one. Two thousand, yeah, the one with um, two thousand three. I think is when it was. And favorite podcast. This can be any podcast. Doesn't have to be a racing podcast. I mean, maybe it could be the Amplify Horse Racing podcast. (laughs) 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 Just kidding. Whatever, whatever you you feel. Um. Well, I 
I really don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts, unfortunately. I'm I'm more of an audiobook person. Okay, that's fair. Um, Respect. But I do listen to the Amplify podcast, so we'll default to that. What's your favorite audiobook? Oh my gosh. Okay. Book that you've listened <laughs> my to. My favorite audio any audiobook that has a full cast. So every character is voiced by somebody different. Oh, Love that. This exists? Yes. Um, and a good one. I think you'd like this one, Anise. It's called Daisy Jones and the Six. Daisy Jones and Check the it Six. out, Anise. Oh my gosh, I'm writing it down right now. This could be life-changing. <laughs> yeah, okay. just, I, my friends can attest to this. Come to me for book recommendations. I won't let you down. Awesome. I'm on it. We're giving our listeners so much advice, travel advice, audiobook advice, <laughs> life advice, advice. <laughs> about racing. I mean, this is your one-stop shop for any advice you may need right here. I think that oh, could yeah. be the name of the episode. <laughs> one-stop shop podcast episode. Everything you need to know in life. With the Nice Mountain Pleasure, Joe Mason, and Trisha Warrens. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, I think we're very doing a very good job of this. But back to the uh, back to our rapid fire questions. Favorite jockey? My favorite jockey. Hmm. I really wish I. <laughs> I don't necessarily know if I have a favorite jockey. Like off the top of my head, I can't think of one jockey that I'm like I always root for this person. Actually, I'll kind of say. I, I like rooting for um, bug bug riders that are just starting yeah. out their career. I really like watching them develop and seeing how seeing them get better and improve. So I don't know. I always find myself kind of rooting for them in races and just hoping that they get good rides or at least see improvement. I just I really like that. That was pretty much the most amplified answer ever. I love that. <laughs> just. A bug is, so when a jockey starts riding, they're an apprentice and they get a weight allowance and people often refer to them as a bug. Yeah, they start out with a 10 pound weight allowance and then as they, um, I think it's win five races and then they go to seven pounds and then it's three and then it's, they have to carry the regular weight. Not, I don't remember what the win totals are they need to meet, but. And I think it was called Bug because there's an asterisk next to their name or a dot next to their name in the program that people thought looked like a bug. And mm-hmm. so Bug Boy or Bug Girl. Bug Girl doesn't have the same ring to it. But anyways, or just a bug. I digress. Favorite trainer? Uh, favorite trainer is going to be Brennan Walsh. I worked for him and I was with him for like seven, eight months and – I'm partial. I'm so biased. I sh- as a racing official, it's hard to not be biased, but I'm like, it's Brendan. That's cool. They seem like they have a really, really good team. It's a really good operation. So It certainly seems like that. I had the pleasure of interviewing Brendan uh, right before Maxfield's race on the Derby card, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Really down-to-earth guy, really fun guy to talk to. So uh, Very knowledgeable, too, so I can attest to that as well. Uh, favorite race? My favorite race. 
Oh my goodness. Was this like every year a race to watch or her favorite race of all time that she's ever seen? However she wants to answer it, either way. Ooh, okay, fun. I'm going to answer with favorite race I've ever seen because I, I don't necessarily know if I have a favorite race, um, but my favorite race of all time is the 2007 Belmont Stakes. That racks right, riches. Yeah. Had that stretch duel with Curlin. That race just always like goosebumps every time. That's so cool. That Everybody go look that up. Hit YouTube and watch that race. Favorite place to watch a race? This is tough because to me it kind of depends on the track. It definitely depends on the track. Um, I think down on the rail, right? As close to the horses as possible because you feel them come by you. That's my favorite place. I love it. And that was 10. Wow. We did it. We did it. (laughs) Several tangents, lots of life advice, and some cool internship talk later. Here we are. Yeah, we did it. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Trisha. This has been awesome. I've had a good laugh, and you are amazing, and I'm super excited to have you on board helping us out with Amplify and our social media to continue our expanding our educational presence so have a great week definitely and I think I want to just because circle back to kind of something when you're a young person in this industry don't be afraid to try a lot of different things that would be my I think that's a takeaway from my experience because I have done so many different things just don't be afraid to try it all that's awesome a great piece of advice muy importante well that was a blast Anise. so much knowledge to be spread in this episode when it comes to travel and internships and different tracks and trying new things and all great advice for young people uh, getting involved in this industry yeah trisha has i had no idea how much she had actually done in her very short career so far And, you know, it was so funny. I can't believe I didn't remember that about us having been overseas together at the same time. But it just goes to show how interconnected this industry is and how, you know, different opportunities can take you around the world. And she's definitely somebody who can attest to that. Absolutely. Yeah. Such a widely knowledgeable individual, but young too. Somebody very young um, who's had so many great experiences and so much knowledge to share with not only us, but the people around her. It's great. For sure. Well, she's certainly, she's taken a huge load off of my shoulders with helping us out with the social media. And, uh, you know, so I'm really excited to have that added level of creativity and eyes on everything that we're doing. If anybody out there has ideas for Amplify social media, whether it's a certain feature that you'd like us to add every week or certain pieces of knowledge that you'd really like us to be putting out there or recommendations on resources. On our most recent horse racing hangout, people actually responded that they wanted me to start giving them monthly uh, homework assignments. (laughs) So if there's something like that that you want us to put on social media and you'd like for Patricia and I to consider it, please do pass it along info at amplifierhorseracing.org. And uh, Joe, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week. I'm about to 
head home actually to North Dakota. My brother's getting married. Excited for that. Yeah, I have a fun week ahead. A lot of classes and homework and things of that nature. But the weather is getting cooler and yeah, the leaves are turning, as I said in the intro. And I'm uh, I'm pretty excited to see what 2022 or the end of 2021 has in store for us. But as I say always at the end of this show, for Trisha Warrens and Anise Montplaisir, I'm Joe Mason saying thank you for listening to the Amplify Horse Racing Podcast.